This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions. Because it's time to dish the dirt. On the AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Hey, good morning. AM 740, Charlie Dobbin and The Garden Show. Frank Proctor is still on vacation. Robbie Lane sitting in. lucky guy. Yeah. How does he do that? He is just so lucky. Three weeks. Yep. And, you know, I did want to mention to the listeners that while Frank was away, he wouldn't really allow me to sit in his chair. <laughs> That's true. It's a three-legged stool that he gave me to sit on. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he wants me to know where I'm at yeah, and where right. my place is. There's the undergardener, and then there's the under undergardener. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> if you have a question for uh, Charlie, you can call early and often at four four one six three six zero zero seven forty, or anywhere in Ontario one eight six six seven forty. Four seven forty. Good morning to everybody. And Charlie has a couple of things she wants to mention right off the top. That's right. And good morning, Robbie. Uh, thank you again for being here and being such a great, a great sort of co-host along with. My pleasure. Uh, I do, you know, I miss Frank, but you, you know, in lieu of Frank, you are the best. Well, thank you so much. And and Dave, of course, who's out there. He's a voice you hear when you call, and uh, he'll be. Putting all the calls in line. And, and he's actually awake this week. Is he? Yes. <laughs> Unlike <at> me. <laughs> I was just saying I was up late last night at, off at the theater. Yes. And, uh, yeah, it's the problem with going to the theater on a Friday night. It, uh, it was a backbeat. Yeah. Didn't end. and Well, I got on the subway at 11. So by the time I got home. And, anyway. Okay, cool. A couple of things to have on your calendars. Remember today from 10 until 4, the Richmond Hill Garden and Hort Society is sponsoring the Edible Gardens Learning Tour. Um, also, uh, speaking of Richmond Hill, the Richmond Hill Garden and Hort Society also sponsors a front garden recognition program, and it's based on neighbors uh, nominating each other, really. It's where you, you admire somebody's front garden, right. and you go to the web and nominate. Or if you don't trust somebody to nominate your garden, you nominate your own. <laughs> <laughs> That's been known to happen. Anyway, they did go around. I don't know how many signs they put up, but I bet you there's... Close to a thousand signs in Richmond Hill right now, all you know, banged into the front yards of, of people's homes, just saying front garden recognition. Well, that's uh, amazing. It's a thousand. Re- oh, I bet. I, you know, I should should have. I could find out. And so there's a lot. Even on my street alone, there must be twelve or fifteen signs. Yeah. So, have you got one on your front lawn? I do actually. Yeah. <laughs> I made them feel pretty guilty. Did you nominate yourself? <laughs> no, I arm twisted my neighbor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but then I nominated her. So ah. It all works out. Yeah. We compete, right? That's yes. the way this garden thing works. Yes. Right. We're always trying to do each other. So the the tour, the edible garden tour that is today is a self-guided tour of eight gardens. Uh, the tickets are $10 each or four for $35. Go to richmondhillgardensociety.org for more information. Another 
upcoming event is in Lakefield, lovely town of Lakefield. Yes, beautiful place. I think Robbie just about bought that cottage from the Maryland's guest <laughs> yeah. with the, the Rice Lake 90, whatever I'm waiting it was. to make the call. That's right. I know. He's, he's like, you know, you should see his fingers are tapping. He's like ready to go. <laughs> just stay here, okay? Okay. Uh, okay, but Lakefield's another really pretty town. That's what made me think of it. Uh, Lakefield and District Hort Society, they are having their Lakefield Antique and Flower Show and sale. It's held August 8th and 9th at the Lakefield Smith Community Center, situated on the banks of the beautiful Autonomy River in Lakefield. Uh, of course, that's just north of Peterborough. Yeah. This year, the Lakefield Hort Society celebrates 50 years as a society. So in addition to the antique displays, there'll be floral designers showing off their works of art. Uh, and the floral uh, show is open to not just society members, but there's a, a whole section for non-society members who might want to compete. Uh, you just have to know exactly what you're doing in yeah. terms of how to do, you know, what the expectations are. Uh, there's antique displays. There are specimen flowers, potted plants. There are going to be a, a whole photograph show as well. Uh, so don't forget there's... Um, Terrific plant sale. Local local growers bring plants and society members offer advice and sales. So lots of great information. That's for two full days. The day's admission is $5. The show runs Wednesday, August 8th from 10 until 8 p.m. And Thursday, August 9th from 10 until 6 p.m. Again, for more information, www.lakefieldhort.org. Sounds like a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah, good one. Um, they say, you know, People, this has been going on for many years. This 50 flower, years. flower and antique show, but I guess the flower and antique show has been going on for about thirty odd yeah. years, and it's always a very big deal. But this year is going to be bigger than ever. So put oh, it on your calendar. Yeah, August eighth and ninth. Yep, sounds like a good one. All right. Do you, uh, would you like to take our first caller? We well, you know, we do it right now. We do a uh, oh, yes. little little. Uh, <laughs> we we'll have be to back. sell some stuff. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we'll be back with Charlie and some questions that you're uh, waiting to answer or ask, I should say, right after we do this. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than we do realize. And should little creatures become a big problem? Well, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. And it is The Garden Show, and Charlie Dobbin's ready to take your question. Robbie Lane here. I'll give you the phone numbers one more time, and then we'll go to Ethel in Kitchener. 416-360-0740, and anywhere in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. And Ethel is calling in from Kitchener. Good morning, Ethel. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. Nice to have you with us on this uh, beautiful weekend. Pardon? Nice to have you with us. Oh, thank you so much. All right. Char- morning, Ethel. Yeah, here's morning, Charlie. Charlie. Go ahead. Shoot your question. <laughs> Charlie, I have a problem with um, the bearded iris borer, mm-hmm. and I dug up one plant because it was very slimy and it looked really poor on top. Mm-hmm. And when I dug it up, I, I saw these big, ugly creatures in my roots. Yeah, but they are pretty ugly. Oh, they're terrible. And so I did kill them, and uh, I thought... I, I wasn't really sure if I should dig up the rest of my uh, bearded irises. I have a lovely collection of them, mm. and I've already dug a few of them up that look slimy, and each one of them had bores in them. Are all your irises planted together? No, they're they're in a, a batch, uh, a bed about oh, 40 feet long and about 4 feet wide. Uh-huh. 
Wow. And I have them spread out in that area. Hmm. Yeah. So you the the dreaded iris borer is not a nice insect. I mean, I guess the one redeeming factor is they're pink. <laughs> <laughs> they or they turn pink as they get older. <laughs> they start off more looking like a slug, a real slimy slug. But they are, as you say, you you'll know you've got iris borer at this time of year, usually because you will see that the, the leaves have started to wilt and turn brown on your irises when you expect them to still be quite firm. You'll dig pop up the, the, the rhizome, and sure enough, there'll be holes in the rhizome and then ugly, disgusting, wormy borers inside the rhizomes. My suggestion is um, to a couple of things. One is once you've got borers in the soil, it's very it's virtually impossible to eradicate them. They will be there for a number of years. What you'll need to do, believe it or not, is dig up all your irises, go through the irises as you're digging them up. Any evidence of holes or borers, you uh, eliminate that material off the property. You will find some rhizomes that are still nice and firm and untouched. And I would, if there's any possibility, you know, either create a new bed for them or certainly do not put irises back in the areas where you are finding borers because you'll just be putting healthy rhizomes back in to an area where uh, they will just get infested in the future. Do they um, um, come at a certain time of the year? Like, are they... Um, well, the actually, when is it best to get rid of the borers? Well, the best time is now, end of July, early August, to dig up. And it's also the best time. All of our bearded irises need to be dug and divided about every three or four years. Because they will get overgrown, and the clumps yeah. will get too dense. And once that happens, then we don't get nearly the kind of flowering that you got three or four years ago. So, yeah. you know, all of us with irises need to be out there digging and dividing anyway. So while we're doing that, we're keeping our eyes peeled for bores. But the way it works is that the bores overwinter inside the debris, <clears throat> excuse me, or the rhizomes or the soil around the rhizomes of the irises. The little eggs hatch in the spring and they're tiny. So you don't see any little tiny larvae. You don't see any damage until the larvae start to get bigger and bigger and bigger and the damage becomes much more evident. So they are there year round and they, the family of boars will proliferate as long as there's irises for them to, to grow in. So that's the unfortunate thing is you really have to move the irises completely out of any area where you ha- you know there's borer. Okay. Okay. Now, when can I go back to growing my irises again in that bed, or what, should I just eliminate everything altogether as far as irises are concerned? Well, you can certainly grow anything else there except bearded irises in the meantime. My understanding is you should wait three or four years. However, think about the last winter that we had and how mild it was. So mm. that, if we, it's going to be some one of those weather-dependent things. So let me, let me sort of follow up on that. Traditionally, we've always said three or four years, but traditionally, we've had frost in the ground for a good period of time. This year we virtually had no frost in the ground other than for about 48 hours, Uh which was insufficient to kill a lot of soil-borne insects and their eggs, etc. And diseases. Well, you know, they are one of my favorite flowers, and I do have them out the front, and so far they look pretty good, but out the back, I I bought some new ones last year, some very special ones, and I noticed that they were even bothered with the boars too, so... Yes, you got... Excuse me, you've got your work cut out for you. That's going to be something that sounds like, particularly in your case, with a collection like that yeah. and specimens you want to hold on to, that, yeah, you, it's going to become a real challenge to say, okay, i got to find yeah. borer-free zones in my in my yard. Yeah, there's nothing that I could put on them to, like a chemical or something, to they, get rid of them? Or yeah. do I just have to dig them up and kill them? 
you'll be digging up and killing and squishing for sure. The challenge is, is to eliminate them from the soil. We used to use some soil, um, sorry, yeah, some soil insecticides that are no longer available. Okay. Uh, for, and even then, there was no real good 100% control. Okay. Okay. Thank All you, right. Ethel. Thanks, and sorry, sorry to hear about that, but I think you're, you're on the right track, recognizing the problem. Oh, thanks, and Charlie. Going and to I the love next your spot. program. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for Good calling weekend. in, Ethel. And, uh, yeah, we've got time to do we? Um, want to take another call, yeah, or do you want to do some yeah, You know, info? let me do a, a quick email, because I know we do have to go to a commercial break. And I have, I got an interesting email. Unfortunately, I can't show you the photographs, but one of our listeners, Joanne in, from Welland, yes. sent me some photos, and her email says uh, that she has a 15-year-old Deborah maple tree. Now, a Deborah maple is the green and white, variegated oh, yeah. leaf, if you've ever seen that. Yes. Uh, right in the center of her backyard. She said, this spring, the... Um, trunk the lower trunk bark is breaking away from the trunk and it looks like it will fall off during the summer um so she's wondering if this is a naturally a naturally occurring event and or should she be concerned she also wonders uh will nature take its time take its course or should she remove the bark or leave it alone and she sent photos okay so i looked at the photos and thank you for this this is an interesting question the the fact that that bark and there's a lot there's a real good sized chunk of bark that's clearly come away from the trunk of the tree. Uh, uh, if I were you, Joanne, and this is an important tree, it does have value, it add value to your home, both the value and the financial value, but also you know economically it adds value, but also quality of life, shade, yeah, you know water attenuation, all that important stuff, carbon dioxide uh, capturing. Uh, so it's an important tree. I would be calling an arborist. Yeah. And the way you're going to get an arborist, you're going to get a certified arborist through the International Society of Arboriculture or International Society of Arborists, which is isa.org. And I would call an arborist in your neighborhood, get them to come. Do not remove that bark. The bark will eventually potentially fall off and at that point it will need to be a like an arborist can do a clean cut because the it will heal if the plant is healthy it will heal that wound but that chunk of bark that's that's very loose is going to is going to fall off but the real question is why did it happen yeah that's the problem and it could be one of those sun beating down in the winter causing uh you know frost thawing and then and then freezing and breaking of bark and that does happen sometimes in March and February on the south and southwest side of, of our trees it could be something else it, you know it's in the back garden sometimes silly things happen in the front you know cars go off the road and hit yeah. hit sh- and shake off bark so the main thing is you want that tree to stay alive I would definitely get some help to find out number one what to do now and number two why it happened in the first place so it's, it's an odd thing to have something like that just suddenly so happen. call an arborist that's correct that's the best thing to do certified arborist on the property as soon as possible all right when we come back we're going to talk to Brenda who's calling in from Dundas if you have a question for Charlie once again the number is 416-360 0740 or toll free 866 740 740. And we'll have Brenda's question after we do this. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, flocks, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. 
Good morning. It's The Garden Show, and we have Brenda on the line. She's been waiting for a little while from uh, Dundas, yeah. and Charlie has is waiting for you, Brenda. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. Good morning, Charlie. A um, couple of years ago, I moved house, and I brought a bleeding heart plant with me, mm-hmm. and it did all right, but it never sort of amounted to much. Last year, it, it was really leggy, so I cut it back, mm-hmm. and this year, there are small bleeding hearts popping up here and there, and they, they never have any flowers on them. Should I just get rid of the whole lot? Oh, gosh, no. Bleeding heart's a great plant. Tell me about the amount of sun you've got it in. It's part, The little ones that are sprouting are in full sun. Mm-hmm. The original one and one or two around it are in partial shade, mm-hmm. facing west underneath a tree, not a fir tree, but that type of tree, mm. an, an evergreen. Okay, so that might be what was the limiting factor for it. Um, what I would do, number one, bleeding heart is a great plant. Yes, I love uh, it. <laughs> it comes up early in the spring. It's just so, you know, talk about a yeah. low-maintenance plant. You don't have to do anything to it. If it's in a lot of shade, I find that it'll stay quite green and, and fill a hole in the garden right from spring through till, till frost. Uh, the bleeding heart in my garden, however, it uh, it does a great job in the spring, but it gets so much sun and it tends to dry out in that area mm. in the summer that it, it goes dormant so that it all turns yellow and leaves a big hole midsummer. So what I would do if I were you is recognize what it's it's saying there. It's saying it doesn't want to live beneath the evergreen, but it does oh. want to live out in a sunnier spot. Now, of course, you'll have what I have, which is you'll it, allow maybe some of those little guys to come up, enjoy some flowers next spring, but know that it's all going to disappear by late June, early July. Okay. Similar to your poppies, your oriental poppies. They just disappear mm-hmm. by midsummer. Or the other option would be to t- dig up a couple of the little sprouts that are coming up, move them over into a shadier corner, somewhere where it's not near an evergreen, but lots of shade is okay. Just make sure it's in a fairly fertile or fairly organic soil because right. that will certainly help because That'll help with moisture retention, and that will help the plant stay alive right through till frost. And you know, stay so I should move, above move ground. the little ones and take the mother away from the overhanging fir tree. Yeah, I mean, you could leave the little ones, just recognizing, like I say, that they will grow next year, but they will be, you know, empty spots yeah. next summer. It, it does get very hot and very sunny for a while out there, so mm-hmm. I'll move them into the shade then. Yeah, I mean, it's a great plant for the shade. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. They, they look so forlorn. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, they have you. a tendency. But do, yeah, just ensure there's good organic material in the soil. That will really help yeah. a lot. Okay, Charlie. Thanks. Okay, thanks so much. Thank you, Brenda. Have a great weekend. And I have a question for you, Charlie. Yeah, what's going on? In our backyard, yep. we have a silver maple tree, which is about 100 feet tall. Yeah, so big. Per- how, big do you have any huge. idea how old it is? Um, well, the neighbors that used to live there said that it was near 100 years old. Uh, so it must be pretty much that yeah, yeah. by now. And, uh, of course, you know, there are bylaws in the oh, city. Yeah. You cannot just go cutting down trees. No, no, and no. we don't want to anyway. No. It's beautiful. But the problem is that it's overgrown itself. We've cabled it. Yeah, because uh, typical silver maple, they have very weak, what they call a weak crotch. Yeah, exactly. And they tend to split yeah. in a big wind, and they're big, heavy old trees. And they're, yes. you know, soft wood as well. And that's what we're concerned about, because if it does split in a storm, mm-hmm. and our neighbors are out, or their dog, or whatever, mm-hmm. it could kill you. serious, yeah. So um, we cabled it a few years ago, and now it's overgrowing again, mm-hmm. and we just don't know what to do next. 
So this is a good question. And you know what? Two things. One is recognize that you will need an arborist to come. They could potentially put another layer of cable up higher. Number two, they'll thin the canopy so that will lighten the load on the cables um, and also balance because that's important. Uh, sometimes it's a tightening on the original cable. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. that does need, you can't just do that once. The plant will grow and the cables have to be, have to be you know, stay on top of these things. So don't hesitate to get, like a, again, a certified arborist onto the property. But I just want to share with you something I just found yesterday. This is a website you want to go to. So it's www.yourleaf, one word, yourleaf.org. Mm-hmm. It's part of LEAF, um, LEAF, L-E-A-F, stands for the Local Enhancement and Appreciation of Forests Group. LEAF plants trees, they support trees, they do lots of education on trees. So in cooperation with a university professor at Ryerson, they, yourleaf.org is a website where you can go, and if you're thinking about planting a tree or you own a tree... <clears throat> You fill in some blanks. It's going to ask you, in the case, like your case, you own a tree. So it's going to ask you, what kind of a tree is it? Mm-hmm. So you'll let it know that. Yep. It'll ask you the circumference at chest height in centimeters. So you put that in, <clears throat> and you'll put in your postal co- your nearest city. Yes. Then it cranks out a, a data table, which tells you how much, how many liters of water that tree has mitigated from going straight out into the storm sewers. How much carbon dioxide that tree, and both over its entire life and also this year, how much carbon dioxide it's holding, um, it, it just goes on and on. How much, um, it is amazing because I have a Norway maple in my back garden. Yeah. And of course, Norway maples, nobody plants by choice anymore. But even my 35-year-old Norway maple has helped moderate 8,623 liters of water, storm water this year. And sequestered another 100 kilograms of carbon dioxide just this year alone. Wow. Yeah. That's valuable. It's pretty neat. So, yeah. so that, there's, there you are. And see, the other thing is what direction, what size of the, side of the house is it on? Because it's all about saving energy. Yeah. So is it shading your house on, in the summer, helping you to lower your cooling costs? Is it dropping its leaves in the winter, thereby letting the sun in, and again, lowering your heating costs? Right. So that is one of the questions as well, is where is this tree located in relation to your house? So that's an existing tree. You can also use this website if you're thinking about planting a tree. Because again, it will, it'll give you choices and suggestions, and, and you can see where's your best value. What tree will give you the best value? Leaf.org. Yep. No, myleaf. Myleaf.org. Yeah. I, I will write it down later so I don't forget. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, we've got people waiting on right. the lines, but I think uh, nope, nope. we are going to take somebody. Yep. All right. From um, Scarborough, Pat, you are there. Good morning, Pat. Yeah, good morning. Good morning. morning. You have a question for Charlie, I bet you. Yeah, I do. I have a shamrock plant in a hanging pot, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering if you can tell me how to care for it. What Can I keep it over the winter? Or Yes, you should be able to. It's, um, it's a tropical plant, so uh-huh. it's not something that will stay inside over the winter. Um, bright location, doesn't have to be in full sun by any means. And uh, it will flower. If it does get enough light, it will flower just right around St. Patrick's Day, February, March. Uh-huh. And so it's a very easy plant to have. Many people will use it outside in the summer, uh, but keep it inside, obviously, in the winter. Right. 
but it, it it just can come in the house in the winter and as long as it has lots of light. Is that it? Yeah, I wouldn't put it directly in a south window, but certainly within 10 feet of a south window would be nice. Right. Uh, in terms of a bright spot. Right. And um, yeah, no, it's a, it's an easy care plant. This is a new plant for you? Yeah, and it's very pretty. It's full of flowers. Yeah. And, you know, quite nice. They take a fair amount of water, so you'll have to stay on top of the water and feel the soil or get used to the weight of the pot when it's been watered versus when it's dried down. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you got it outside right now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So by the end of August, mid-September at the latest, days are getting shorter, nights are getting cooler. What I do to bring my plants in is I hanging baskets are great because you're up above the ground. You're unlikely to have things like earwigs and stuff in the soil, but you will want to use a soap and water shower basically just to right. clean off any any uh, spiders etc that might be in the plant before you bring it inside right and it's that simple mm-hmm. great okay thank you so much thank You're you very for welcome. calling enjoy your show thank thanks you. that lady that called about her bearded iris and you were talking about the boar borer families mm-hmm. we had a family living in our street that was very much like that <laughs> they moved away and nobody noticed <laughs> 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 that's how boring they were. Yeah, that's right. You know, those boring people. <laughs> All right. It right. uh, looks like Georgina yeah. is calling about her calla lilies. And Georgina, good morning to you. Good morning. You morning. Ha- you have a good question. Morning, you have problems you? with you. Oh, we're good. How yeah, are you? How I'm are your calla lilies? My calla lilies. It seems as though they won't be blooming this year. I had them last year. And I dug them up, and uh, I kept them until this year, and I planted them. And they're, they're tall, but it doesn't seem as though they will bloom this year. When did you plant them? I planted them um, uh, late spring. Right, and you went directly outside into the yes. ground. So that was, that's the trick. If you want them to bloom, you've got to pot them up in pots indoors okay. in late March. Okay. Late March, early April. And that mm-hmm. way you'll, and then you can take the pots outside. They'll be, you know, starting to sprout when we're frost free. Mm-hmm. Introduce them to the real world, slowly but surely harden them off. Get okay. them into the ground. You can even leave them in the pots and just bury the pots into the ground. Uh, and then they'll be flowering for you by usually late June, early July. So I can leave them in the pot all, all summer? Yeah. And then just. And they will bloom? That's right. Yep. I, I mean, th- personally, I would bury the pots okay. uh, in the garden where you would have buried the, the little tubers. But mm-hmm. uh, it just makes them easier for lifting in the fall if you just leave them in the pots, number one. I see. And number two, uh, you, you, they will bloom in the pots. It's just that usually we plant them into about a six-inch pot. And, of yeah. course, that needs to be watered about every hour when it's really hot. So okay. that's why burying them in the garden means you won't have to water as much. And also, um, my roses, I'm finding a lot of beetles in the, uh, the petals of the roses. Okay, so this is, this is where you're breaking the rules and asking a second question. <laughs> but I will, I will tell you quickly, you have um, a horrible pest on your property called Japanese oh. beetle. Oh, wow. Eating your roses. The best thing you can do is, believe it or not, just pick them and squish them and pick them and squish them. Yeah, that's what I've been doing. Yeah. I know. I also used um, insecticide soap, but it seems so that's not helping. No, that just basically gives them a nice little shower, cleans them up. Yeah. There's not, uh, there's no really uh, good spray to spray them. Uh, there are traps for luring them, but of course, the last thing you want to do is lure more onto the property. Yeah. So some people live in a situation where they've got a schoolyard or a park or a ravine in their back garden, and yeah. they can stick one of those traps out there and lure all the Japanese beetles 
over to to that you know it, kilometer away or half a kilometer away kind of location. You don't yeah. want to put a trap on your own property. But no, oh. they are a real problem. I mean, they they do huge damage, particularly to our roses. And unfortunately, and the roses, yes. we yeah. might end up having to put little gauze, what they call floating row covers, over yeah. our roses in order to keep them safe from the Japanese beetles uh, because that's they're just voracious. They just yeah. eat everything. Yeah. Oh dear. Yeah, so, yeah, not good. I mean, neem oil, some people swear by neem oil. Neem oil? N-E-E-M. N-E-E-M. Mm-hmm. Mixed with water. Not Do not spray at high noon. Spray okay. early in the morning. Spray the insects, though. You need to be spraying the actual insects okay. as much as possible. Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank Bye. you for your call. And remember, when you do call, everybody gets one question. <laughs> so you call early and call, call often, often, but it's one question per person. <laughs> yes, because, you know, Patrolman Proctor, he's usually here, and <laughs> yeah. he writes tickets. I know he does. <laughs> he hunts you down. He will. From Thornhill, we've got Helen on the line about broadleaf evergreen. And good morning, Helen from Thornhill. Uh, yes, uh, good morning. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I have this uh, broadleaf evergreen. Uh, that's what it says. I still maintain my tag, uh, which I planted in a 16-inch uh, round diameter concrete planter. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, of course, it's outside on a balcony. I'm in a condo. Uh, my question, will it survive the winter? It's doing well. Uh, it's been three months since it was planted. It looks good. Okay, what direction do you face? Uh, we're facing uh, west. Okay, so it's a fairly windy uh, balcony? It's not too windy, uh, but... Because uh, usually I think of the west or the northwest as being one of the windier locations uh, when it comes to prevailing winds, particularly in the winter. But here's another question. Your tag says it's a broadleafed evergreen. Does it say what? It says broadleaf evergreen, and then it says green gem boxwood. Oh, okay. So it's a boxwood. So green gem boxwood is about a zone four plant, and you in Thornhill live zone five, maybe six. So what that means, and and it's like you said, it's doing very well. It's getting good afternoon sun and shady mornings if you're facing west. Right. And those are the right conditions for boxwood. However, the overwintering question is, is the tougher one. It does, to some extent, depend on what kind of a winter we have. If we have a really cold winter and it drops to 20 below and stays 20 below for two weeks solid, most plants that are in above-ground planters will die, Mm -hmm. regardless of the plant. However, if we have the kind of uh, winter where it drops to 10 below for an hour and then it's back up to zero, most plants will survive above ground in planters. What you can do to try and uh, ensure the best chance of survival for the plant is make sure you water it very thoroughly this fall as as winter is coming prior to it getting really cold. And, and the soil will freeze eventually in that container if it gets cold enough, but you want it to be a little ice cube when it freezes. Right. When that happens and the soil freezes, the plant will, because it's a broadleafed evergreen, it's going to continue to lose moisture out of its leaves. Right. Uh, it's got tiny leaves, but they are broad leaves. So it continues to 
dehydrate, and the proper term for that is desiccate when it comes to plants. So if the soil is frozen and it can't get moisture at its roots, but it's losing moisture out of its leaves, that's what ultimately kills it. So depending on the weather, December, January, you may have to water again. Go out there with some cool water and water. You know, you're not going to water if it's frozen solid, but if it's mild, you're going to go out and water. And do everything in your power to keep the plant out of the wind and out of the sun. That will lower the amount of dehydration. Right. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. No problem. You're very welcome. Thank you for calling. Our pleasure. Yes, our pleasure. (laughs) It's nice to hear from her. Yes. Yes. I love to hear from people that are doing all all, different kind of gardening, right? Exactly. Up in the condos, you know. You heard the woman who called the irises. I mean, she's got a serious iris collection, 40 feet long. Yeah. You know, that's a good sized bed of perennials and mix of irises. So she's got, been a busy lady. Oh, she likes her irises. She does. Right, good for her. Do we have time for another caller? Uh, oh, if we go really fast, we'll see okay, let's how go really fast, fast Thelma can ask her question. Thelma, good morning, good morning to you. Good <laughs> morning. Interesting topics this morning. No yes. kidding. I have a good one for you. Okay. I have a Brugmansia, mm-hmm. actually two of them. Mm-hmm. Right now they're about five feet tall, mm-hmm. going into their second bloom. Mm-hmm. Can I leave them in the pot and bring them in the house over the winter? Oh, absolutely. Okay, so um, common name for Brugmansia is angel's trumpet. Right. And uh, yes, definitely tropical plant. You paid a lot of money for them. And you don't, they will die in the frost. So if you have a sunny spot to bring them in and just treat them as a houseplant for the winter, mm-hmm. do so. Do they have to be trimmed or anything? Well, they're going to be flowering. when you, If they're not flowering when you bring them in, fine. But I think you'll find they're covered in flowers. So usually we hate to cut off all the flowers. Mm-hmm. This happens every year with the hibiscus, with the oleander. I mean, they're, they're looking phenomenal when we bring them in. So I hesitate to do a lot of trimming at that point. You'll do that, that shower and bathing we were talking about with the um, person who called about the, when um, Pat called about the shamrock. Right. So you'll clean them all up. Soapy water, you know, soapy drench in the soil. Make sure there's no bugs. Uh, bring them in the house. If you've got a sunny window, get them in the sun. Oh, you know, they'll use a lot less water once they're, in, you know, they're indoors. It's darker. It's you know, a whole different world indoors. You will do some serious trimming next March, and you will begin fertilizing again next March. But for now, there's no fertilizing. It's just care and then bring in before frost. Oh, okay. Okay. Because they are a beautiful plant. Oh, gosh, yeah. They're, they're lovely, real real showstoppers. Oh, they really threw me because the color I chose was peach. Mm-hmm. The first bloom that came out were yellow. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what is this? Yeah. But as the bloom opened, mm-hmm. it did turn peach. Yeah, yeah, they change. Several yards need, eh? The way they do that, they blush. Nice. I was shocked. I didn't realize they did that. Yep. Well, we'll let you get back to your shocked state. And, uh, <laughs> thank you so much, and enjoy so the much. rest of the weekend. Thanks, Mama, you too. We're coming back with uh, Erica and uh, who else? Florence. Florence yep. And we'll do that after we do these messages for you. Don't change the radio station. Just because the weather changes, garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. 
And good morning, Charlie Dobbin and I are back. Robbie, Robbie Lane, Lane here yes. for Frank Proctor. He'll be back next Saturday with you. He will. And I'm I know he'll be happy to be back in his spot. I'm sure he will be, but you know, he'll just be wanting to talk about his holidays and make us all jealous. <laughs> he probably will. Yeah, he probably will. I think I'll just ignore him for a couple of weeks. I was going to say, yeah. I'm going to try to. <laughs> Florence is calling in from Mississauga, and she, for some reason, has bitter strawberries. Raspberries. Raspberries. Florence, are you there? Why are your raspberries bitter? Yes, raspberries. Good morning. Morning. Well, I I was visiting my neighbor the other day, and she gave me some beautiful ripe red uh, tomatoes, beef tomatoes. But then she said to me, come and taste my my black raspberries. And I tasted them, and they I had to spit them out. They were so bitter. Huh. Is there any any reason that they are bitter? They're, maybe they're not ripe yet. Pardon? Could it be that they're not ripe yet? Yes, they were very black and very soft. They came off very easy. Mm. Wow, good question. I don't know. They should. I mean, gosh, we've had perfect weather for yeah, I know. sweet. You know, all that sun. That's what the sun is all about, right? That's how the plants make carbohydrates is with photosynthesis. So, I, well, you know what? So bitter black... And has, has they, she's obviously lived there for a while and had these raspberries for a while. Yes, she has. And never had this problem. two years. Okay. And this has not been a problem in the past? Uh, well, they hadn't ripened, ripened the way they had this year. Okay. Hmm. She has so many of them. She says the birds don't even want them. <laughs> <laughs> and you looked at the leaves. For sure they're raspberries. Well, the, you know you know what I'm talking about. It's those black raspberries that you buy in the store. Mm-hmm. Well, black I call berries. them raspberries. I don't know what... Well, no, there's black berries, which look like black raspberries. Okay. There's a See, there's other things out there. There's something called a tayberry, which is a cross between a blackberry and a raspberry. There's a whole bunch, but, it, but it's that berry type thing you're talking about. And when you pulled it off the plant, did it have, was it hollow where it came off or was it solid where it came off the plant? Or do you remember? I don't. I don't know. Because you know when you pull a raspberry off, it's like a little dunce cap. You know. Oh yeah. Yeah. Was it like that? Well, the little stem that sta- that stays in the inside. No, it came off clean. Right. Oh, okay. So it came off like a raspberry or not like a raspberry? No, it came off not like a raspberry. It came off clean, so it's not hollow. It's so, not which. It was not hollow on the inside. I see. No, I'm just asking you. Okay, so you know what I'll do, Florence? I'm what? going to uh, see what I can find out and report back next week. What would make okay. any kind of fruit bitter this year is beyond me because yeah. it just doesn't make sense. If they're looking good and healthy and we know there's been lots of sun and warmth, there's oh, perhaps yeah. something else going on there. Oh, I see. Okay. I wonder if there's something she should be feeding it. Maybe. Or, you know... Um, the, the other sweetening up the soil. That's right. Well, the other consideration is if you or your neighbor has access to a digital camera, uh-huh. uh, you could send me a photograph of the plant, which, uh-huh. including a photo of the leaves, oh, yeah. which would help me and uh, be absolutely clear on what we're talking about. And my email address is my first initial C and my last name Dobbin. D-O-B-B-I-N. Well, I'll try and... I'll try and see if she can get a picture. All righty, thanks. Or you can always mail it to at am740.ca. So I can give you my mailing address as well if anybody wants to send letters. I love letters. I love mail.
It's good to get mad. Yeah, it's great. Thanks for your call, and I will report back next week, Florence. Thank you. Florence, my advice is just don't eat any more of those bitter (laughs) raspberries. The birds are always a good indicator, I find. That's right, yeah, if they don't like them. (laughs) I have a, uh, what is now a black raspberry tree uh, on my lot. It's oh. no longer a bush. It's grown so much. Could it and be an elderberry? It might be, yeah. but the we have seven and a half million squirrels and oh. birds. Yeah, you've counted them, I bet. Well, I have, and so is my West Island Terrier. <laughs> she likes to get those squirrels. <laughs> well, it's so funny. I mean, I have a cat who hovers. I have a pagoda dogwood, which is, once the berries ripen, it's the robins that eat yeah. the, the berries on the dogwood. No other bird, but all the robins and all the baby robins. And, of course, the baby robins are such bozos. You know, they're just not that bright. They don't know. And my cat just sits there (laughs) going, go ahead, drop it on the the ground and go get it. Yeah. I'll be waiting here right beside it. Probably smiling. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've got a bell attached to every moving body part of my cat. (laughs) But, you know, he's really still very good. Didn't you do that with your husband at one point? (laughs) At one point, yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Stealth, man. They're just too stealth. (laughs) We have uh, Eric. And she's been waiting for quite a while to talk about preparing a flower bread bed, not bread. Uh, good morning, Erica. Good morning, Erica. Good morning. Uh, yes, uh, I was uh, going to refresh and uh, prepare a new flower bed mm-hmm. in the spring. Mm-hmm. I got all the sheep manure, garden soil, and compost, mm-hmm. and I didn't get it done. I have all the material. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if it's too late to, to prepare this year for the existing flowers that are in there, perennials, so, my, or could, if I have to wait till spring. Uh, two questions. One is, oh. so you're wanting to rejuvenate an existing flower bed? Yes. Uh, and tell me what kind of perennials. Some of them are spring blooming, some of them are summer, and some are fall? Or? Well, I got brown-eyed Susan, Rosa Sharon, uh, perennial bleeding heart. Um, right. I don't have much. It's an only 8 by 10 little plot. Mm-hmm. But I... Um, uh, it needs it needs freshing up and filling sure. up. Yeah, and it's not like you're going to take all these plants out. It's yeah. more just a question of doing a well. Maybe I you're going to take them out. Yeah, really. Even the rose of Sharon. Oh no. Right. Okay. Well, here's a, it's a very good question actually. It's never the wrong time to amend your soil. So to rejuvenate soil with things like sheep manure and compost, it's never the wrong time. You can do that in the spring, you can do it in the summer, you can do it in the fall. You can do it anytime you want. When it comes to lifting, dividing, and replanting or moving our perennials, summer is never the best time. Just because it's so hot and it's, the plants just get so shocked by being handled in extreme heat. So what I would try and do is is wait till the fall or the spring. Honestly, the fall, in some senses, is the better time because the in the fall, the soil is nice and warm. And when you lift a plant and then replant a plant, even if it's back in the same spot and you're just doing a certain amount of tidying and cleaning, the soil is so nice and warm. The plant is so happy to get back into the soil. It just starts purring and shooting down roots within minutes. Versus the spring, when you lift a plant, fool around, put it back into the soil, and it's really cold, the plant just hunkers down and says, I'm waiting Mm. until the conditions are right for me to get going. Okay. My concern was uh, not to fertilize after the end of July mm -hmm. and with uh, preparing or refreshing the flower bed with a sheep manure and compost. Mm -hmm. 
Is that not similar to fertilizing? It is, but not really. Not because really? Okay. When you, fer- when you provide organic matter that's full of nutrient, yes. it will not necessarily, like, it'll be there in the soil, but the plants will not necessarily take it because they are not actively growing unless the conditions are right for active growth uh, okay. in the fall. Versus okay. when we add fertilizers that tend to be of a synthetic nature, they are, it's like uh, steroids. I mean, it's just like they can't avoid it. The, in, the plants take in and burst forth all kinds of growth and then sometimes get frozen in the fall because their new growth isn't ready for winter. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. So, so wait another month. Yeah, exactly. Just, yeah, wait till the end of August. Cooler weather when it's nicer to work in the garden. That's wonderful. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for Thanks your call. Thanks so much. All right. <clears throat> Thank you. We've got some uh, callers waiting, and uh, we're going to take a little break and come back and get those callers and more. If you want to call in, 416-360-0740, 740 And we'll be back with Charlie Dobbin after this. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size, there's more going on in the garden than we do realize. And should little creatures become a big problem, well, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. And good morning. Welcome back to The Garden Show. Charlie Dobbin, Robbie Lane here for another 10 minutes or so. And we've Mm -hmm. got uh, a lady calling in about corkscrew hazel. Now, I knew a girl once by that name, but (laughs) it was a whole different story. I would think. Yes. Good morning, Dorothy. Dorothy. (laughs) Good morning. Um, We moved here about six weeks ago, and there's uh, two corkscrew hazel on the property, Mm -hmm. and... uh, Anyhow, the leaves are uh, quite welted in most areas, and it uh, looks like a Japanese beetle maybe has uh, put holes in them. Mm. And uh, I'm just wondering um, if there's anything we can do for them, like are they going to die? or? Well, hard to say for sure. What, uh, you've only been there six weeks. Have you done any watering at all since you've been there? Uh, yes, we have. Okay, because are they fairly good-sized plants? How tall are they? Uh, probably about, uh, I don't know, about five, four or five feet. Mm. So that they are a slow-growing plant. I mean, once established, they get going. But if they're four or five feet tall, they're fairly old plants. They've been there probably 15 or 20 years. Well, the uh, place where we moved here, the house is just 12 years old. Oh, all right. So then I'm, I'm exaggerating. They're 12 years old, but they sound like they would have been planted when the house was, was built. Uh-huh. So what I would do is um, tell me about the quality of the soil. Typically, it's pretty good soil in the Brantford area. Is the garden look reasonably good there, the soil? Yes, there's a very large garden and uh, it's uh, like a sort of like a sandy type soil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's uh, like bark chips um, all on the surface. Protecting. Good. Mulch. It's just good. Yeah. Um, a couple of things I'd be careful of. I mean, rem- corkscrew hazel do tend to have a bit of a, a floppy or a limp looking leaf anyway. Yes. So uh, I wouldn't be overly concerned about that. Holes in the leaves... Again, it might be Japanese beetles. Uh, if it more, looks more like a shotgun hole through the leaves, then it's unlikely that. But certainly there's a lot of insects out there that do love chewing on leaves. And hazels are as edible as any. Um, what I would do at this point and for the rest of this season is I would just be sure that these plants do not suffer for water, meaning you want to water them slowly and deeply. 
So none of this kind of putting out the oscillator sprinkler for an hour or two, that works fine for the top inch. But of course, you want moisture to go down more like 16 or 18 inches for these plants. Um, corkscrew hazel will sometimes for no apparent reason die over the winter, but they rarely die during the growing season. And so what I would do is, you know, take a good look, make sure, look around the, the stems, make sure there's no sawdust or evidence of any borers. Um Water thoroughly. Do not do any fertilizing. The one thing you could prune away is if there's any straight stems. If you notice any straight stems growing in amongst the curly stems, cut well, out the straight um, stems. That's what I was going to ask about. There is a long um, sprouts coming up like mm. uh, around them, like uh, well, oh, not all around, but uh, in certain areas. From the base. Suckers, yes. and they're probably straight stems, obviously. Yes, they are. Yep, so your short pruners, or actually really properly what you would do is you would dig down to where those suckers are coming from, the root that they're coming from, and actually break those off. Or if there's, it's right in a garden, you know, whatever works best. Move the soil aside, and, and breaking is better than cutting when it comes to removing suckers, but either way you want to remove any straight stems that are coming on the plants because that's exactly what can lead to their to their death is that uh, the straight stems will take over from the corkscrew and that's what you want, right? There's the ornamental sculptural value of those corkscrew, ske- corkscrew stems. Do they, um, do they have a very long life? Or? Well, like I say, they can vary for no apparent reason die. So generally we think of them as not super long-lived plants, but they should go 25, 30 years. Oh. You know, so. Okay. Um, the, as far as the watering goes, instead of the sprinkler, would it be better just to uh, take the hose and uh, lay it at the base of the plant? Exactly. We want a very, very light trickle. So the water is just trickling out or dripping out. And remember, your root zone where it's going to actually absorb moisture is not right at the base of the plant, but will be out a foot or two from the base. Uh-huh. So there's the drip line of a plant, which is the outer edge, and then the actual, usually where the moisture is going to be uh, uh, absorbed, is just beyond the drip line. Uh-huh. So, yeah, and then you put the hose on a very, very low trickle, and about every hour you move it about a foot. You go all the way around. So, and that's oh, okay. the best way to deep water a tree or any, you know, old shrub or something that, you know, you care, you care about. And like you say, it's a nice garden, so you, you want that to do well. Yes, it's a lovely garden. Mm. All right. Um, really nice listening to your show every week, and uh, that's good. I'll tell my husband about this then. Wonderful. Thanks so much for your call. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Dorothy, and have a great weekend. Yeah. And uh, you probably have a little more information you want to impart before we well, wrap I do, it up today. But either that or, or perhaps maybe I've always got information to impart. Um, <clears throat> instead, I want to thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for, for sitting in and being such a great, a great companion on air. Oh, it's always fun to work with you. You know everything. Oh, I mean, no, all I quite. have to do is say hello and read the phone numbers, and sometimes I get those I right. I was going to say, getting those right is always good. <laughs> yeah. And you're here, I guess, for the, a little more, uh, another show today? Yeah, right after the car, guys. Yeah. Uh, I come back and do Live in the City from 11 till 3, and then tonight, the British Invasion Show from 6 till 7. So you're living here? I'm going to live here, You're just yes. going to order out for pizza and or something. And tomorrow, I'm going to see Backbeat, which you oh, saw last you night. Oh, you are. Yeah, the, so enjoy. That. The early story of the Beatles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The backstory of yeah, the Beatles. The backstory, yeah. yeah, so I'm, after I leave the station today, I'm going to go pick up my parents and then I'm driving to London oh. where I'm attending the birthday party of my aunt who turned 90. Yes. And you mentioned that last week. This is top secret, but it's actually a surprise party. 
Can you imagine a surprise party for a 90-year-old? Well, you don't want to yell too loud. <laughs> I know. I'm just wondering, are we all going to jump out and see what happens? <laughs> <laughs> and I already know what you're giving her. Uh, and what do you think I'm giving her? What? Cucumbers. Cucumbers, exactly. Exactly. And and beans. And, oh, I'm giving her a whole little basket of produce from my garden. Well, David uh, and I, David Gaskin, our producer, and I both sampled your garden wares. Yes, that's right. I didn't bring you anything this week. That's was, all right. There's sure. always another time. That's your, right. Your green beans and your cucumber were delicious. Oh, good. I'm glad you enjoyed. Yeah. Well, thanks again. And uh, have a wonderful week, everybody. And we'll, we'll see you all again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.